So I wanted to finish up the series that we've been in uh, over the last several weeks called First Fruits. And uh, just getting back to that idea of understanding that God is after our hearts. First week we talked about the idea of a hearty gift, meaning that it has to come from within us. Knowing, as we've said multiple times through this series... It is completely possible to be obedient in the physical, to go through the motions, but never really give God your heart. And as you give God your heart, that's where the real gift comes from. It's, it's us that we're giving to God. The gift is not our time. It's not our talents. It's not our resources. It is a surrendered heart. And so we talked about that hearty gift. Last week, we, said, we asked the question, what do you have? Because so often we feel like what we have is minimal. It's just not enough to get what God needs out of it. But as we look through Scripture, the five places in Scripture where God says, if you will give me just the little bit that you have to offer, I can multiply it and use it for glory. And, and really, that's where it comes from within us. We may not feel like we have much to offer God. i got to be honest, there are days when I'm in prayer and I feel like, God, I just don't feel like I have a lot to offer you. But here I am. I'm on my knees again. I'm in prayer again. And I want to give you my heart. But this week, I want to look at the hidden heart, that internal aspect of who we are and what God is speaking to that part of our lives and, and try to gain an understanding. We're going to go to the book of Romans chapter 2 in just a moment. But as we've been in Proverbs 3, 9, this fulcrum of the entire message and series has been that we honor the Lord with our wealth, with the first fruits of your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. And again, just revisiting that idea time and time again, that wealth is not just dollars and cents. We are wealthy because of the relationships in our lives, because of good health, because of friendships, because of community. And if we can find a way to honor God through every one of those facets, then we can really begin to surrender our hearts and lives to God. But in the book of Romans, we start out in this area where Paul is speaking to the Roman church. And he's trying to get them to understand uh, that there is a, a battle raging in the world that they live in, in which there is a, a lost heart, a broken heart, that there are people who are given over to sin. In fact, in uh, Romans chapter 1, you read of these different things that he talks about. And he says, because of that wickedness, I've just given them over to depravity. Verse 31, he says, because of the hardness of their hearts. They've got so much hardness in their hearts towards me. And then from there, going into this next section here, and, and, and just as a, a teaching element here, you know, the, the chapters and verses that we read in the Bible were added much later. When Paul wrote this, it was just one cohesive work that he had sent to the, the Roman church. And so he builds off of this concept, this hard-heartedness. And then he says this in Romans 2, verses 4 through 9. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? How many of you can say, man, isn't that the truth, right? How wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you. <clears throat> Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. And he will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity. 
for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. Paul is speaking to a church that is, they're just learning what it means to live for God. Understand this is first century. I mean, Jesus has only gone up to heaven, you know, maybe 35, 40 years ago at this point when Paul is writing this letter. And he's trying to teach them what it means to live surrendered to God. And so it's under this idea that he's really penning this idea that that has echoed through generations down to us, this same teaching that we can apply to our lives. But he says, I look and I see that there is a brokenness, a wickedness within the heart of man. And he goes, because humanity refuses to turn from sin, I have to pour out wrath on that. And, and really interesting, the Greek word there, which is mentanoian, is this idea that I have not humbled my heart. I haven't changed the way my mind and my heart are thinking towards God. Uh, maybe I have an understanding of God, a knowledge of God. Maybe I can believe for, you know, within myself, he exists, he's real, that Jesus is real, all of these things. But they're still at other level because God says, I want to give you a new direction. I want to turn you into a new direction because you've been living lives that were mostly just for self. You know, and this is kind of something I I think we can really relate to because how often do we hear, you do you? Do what makes you feel good. Do what makes you happy. Chase your dreams. uh, Pave your own destiny. However many ways people want to put that. We are living in a time and space where culturally... Uh, the, the idea that is counterculture to Christianity, go do what makes you happy. And then Jesus speaks to humanity and then uses the apostles to speak to humanity by saying, listen, chasing after your own things is a hard-hearted attitude towards the things of God. That doesn't necessarily mean that the things that we chase after are evil. It doesn't mean that you know your pursuit of, I don't know, golf. You just love golf so much, right? Does anybody here love golf? Oh, good. Well, a couple of you. All right. Yeah. I mean, I'm terrible at it. I, I've been trying to teach myself, like, I, I only know, like, full send on everything. And, like, that's no go when you're playing golf. So, I, I like, my swing is, like, not full send, not full send, not full send. And it's, yeah, there you go. You're really passionate about golf, right? And you, and you pour yourself into those things. There's nothing wrong with being passionate about that. But God says, what about the time that, you know, can I use that for some way to be glorified? Would you surrender that to me? Would you give that to me? Whatever it is in our lives, God wants to send us in a new direction. We're so quick to think that the concept of wickedness only applies to people who do horrendous acts against other people. God's concept of wickedness doesn't line up with that. His concept of wickedness is not just somebody who broke the Ten Commandments. His his concept of wickedness is a hard heart that refuses to turn to him. And in fact, we can see throughout Scripture, and we've said this through this series, Jesus taught this. He said it's possible to go through the motions on the outside without ever surrendering your heart, and to do so is meaningless. He says to the people that he's teaching that, you know, you've heard it said don't commit murder, but I tell you, if you hate someone, you're guilty of murder. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at somebody lustfully, you've committed adultery. He's like, what's really the problem here? It's your heart. It's your heart. And that's what God says that he's after. And so then he, he says, why? Why does this matter? Because a day of anger is coming, verse five, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. 
He will judge everyone according to what they have done. Maybe not so much our intentions, right? He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers, but he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves. Anybody know anybody who lives for themselves? And refuse to obey the truth, but instead live lives of wickedness. He says, there will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. Again, church, I implore you that when we're looking at the concept of what is wicked, what is evil, it is not simply doing the terrible, wicked things that we might describe as wicked or unrighteous or ungodly. God is talking about our hearts. He says, I need your heart. I need you. Not just your stuff, not just you uh, giving your time, talents, and resources. As we've said, you could do that without ever surrendering your heart to God. But God says, I want your heart. And in fact, as we said two weeks ago, there's, there's a moment coming that Jesus described as the separating of the sheep and the goats. And he says, there are going to be people who stand in front of me and say, God, we did everything religious in your name. And he's going to say, yeah, but I never knew you. Translation, I never had your heart. I never had your heart. And so God gives us a new mission through this, this word that he's speaking to us. This new mission that he speaks to us is twofold. Number one, we're always working to overcome our hearts. How many of you in here feel like my heart is completely perfected before Almighty God? <clears throat> if you are, you come preach. I'll sit down. Right? We don't think any of us are in that place where it's like, hey, my heart is perfected. And I'll just be honest with you. If it took a perfected heart to be able to minister, every church in America and across the world would be empty. It's not about perfection. We are daily working from the time that we surrender our lives to Jesus to tame the wickedness that is inside our hearts. What do I mean by that? You know, we look at people who do terribly wicked things, right? They murdered somebody. Somebody uh, committed adultery or somebody stole or, or whatever that is. And we're very quick to look at that person and the brokenness of their lives. But here's something we really need to come to terms with. We are all capable of that same level of brokenness. I am capable of murder. The heart of a murderer is inside of me, just like it is anybody else. Because that's the wickedness that we're trying to overcome. But thanks to the grace of God, he helps us to overcome those selfish thoughts, those selfish desires that are within us. That getting over what he said, people who live for themselves, they only think about themselves. But I love it this way. D.L. Moody once said, but for the grace of God, there go I. He looked at people who did wicked things and he's like, I'm not going to judge them. I'm going to look at them and realize if it wasn't for the grace of God in my life, I could be that drunk lying on the sidewalk. If it wasn't for the grace of God in my life, I could be that drug addict that is homeless that I think is so ostensible and everything terrible in the world. I, that could be me. I could, that person who's in, in jail, in prison, who did some terrible crime. Uh, yeah, I'm capable of that. That could be me if it wasn't for the grace of God. And so God gives us a new mission in and of our own hearts, but then also this mission to see people differently. Because here is what we're looking at when we look at individuals. That they're on a spectrum, not so much of saint and sinner but on a spectrum of people whose hearts are in bondage and people whose hearts have been set free. People who are living lives surrendered. And we're all somewhere on that spectrum. And as we just polled a minute ago, nobody in here thinks they've made it all the way to my heart is completely free and good and glorious before God. 
We're all somewhere on that spectrum. And if we can begin to see people, this is that new mission that God puts inside of us. Because if we see that there are people around us who are broken and we are living for God, shouldn't it in some way challenge us to think, what can I do to save those who are lost? And you know, this is where that first fruits concept really begins to take off. You know, as we've been talking through this series, we talk about time, talent, and resources. Time, talent, money, what you have. I know we always get a bad rap because the church talks about money, but listen, you spend your money on things that are important to you. And God says, whatever is important to you is going to indicate what's in your heart. And so here's how that looks. When I truly get a hold of the mission of God that there are people who need the gospel, giving some of my time doesn't sound so bad. When, when I realize that in some way, if I give of the small talent that I have, and can you do me a favor and look at your neighbor and say, you're talented. Tell your other neighbor too. I don't want the other person to feel like they've got nothing. <clears throat> we, we, we are so quick to debase the idea of talent to people who can sing. Listen, not everybody has the talent of singing. I've been around some of you in worship services. It's not your thing. It's Okay. Jesus still loves you. In fact, to be honest, as one who can sing, and I'm not saying that boastfully, but to sometimes I think people who can't sing, who still boastfully, or not boastfully, but proudly praise the Lord, I'm like, man, that's awesome worship. They're not doing that because somebody else is going to think it sounds good. They're doing it because Jesus thinks it sounds good. I love that. But I don't have any talent. I don't have any time. I don't have any money. I don't have any resources. Listen, when I get a look at the things of God, it changes the missional aspect of my heart that says, I'll give whatever little bit of time that I have. I'll give whatever little bit of talent that I have. I'll give whatever little bit of resourcing that I have because people need the gospel. The people whose hearts are still in bondage need the gospel. In verse 16, Paul says this, he says, this is the message I proclaim to you, that a day is coming when through Christ Jesus, he will judge everyone's secret life. God says, there is coming a day when I'm going to judge everyone in accordance to their secret life. Church, we've been drilling down to this idea since the very beginning of this series. And the final thought for us is the understanding of this. That it doesn't matter what we look like on the outside. God is looking at our hearts. He's been speaking that ever since the moment when uh, Samuel went to the house of Jesse to anoint David. In fact, First uh, Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. God says, I look at the heart. You know, this is so important to us because it gives us a new target. It gives us a very different... Now, I want to be clear here because I said that in first service and some people thought we were getting a new store in Hermitage. No, we're not getting a target, okay? <laughs> something different. It gives us a new aim, a new target, a new goal for our lives. Because so much of the past in even Christianity and religion as a whole has been solely based on the idea of being religious. 
Be religious. Do the right things. You know, check off the boxes of things that you're supposed to do. Do it this way. Do it this way. And all the while, never getting that place of surrender within our hearts. In fact, Jesus faced this in his own ministry. He came up against a group of religious elitists. They were called the Pharisees. Right? These were people who, from the time they were born, were taught how to be perfectly religious. Right? They knew every rule. They made sure that they followed every rule to the T and they did it perfectly, right? And this is what Jesus looked at and them and said, he said, you are whitewashed tombs. You are nothing but whitewashed tombs. Inside of you, there is such broke. Your heart is so far from me. I can't even see you or know you. And you're so focused on making the outward look good. You're so focused on making everybody think that you're righteous and pious and holy and reverent and that you're doing the right things. But he says, I look at you and I just see your heart. He goes on again to tell them later, you're like a person who goes to wash the dishes and they just wash the outside of it. They don't clean the inside. They just scrub the outside of it. I don't know about you, but my kids do our dishes. When I open a cabinet door, I'm looking to see. Like pull out the cup and I'm like, is that, that is not clean. I mean, it's not just cups. It could be anything. I'm a maid. Never, we won't go there. <laughs> Father, forgive me. But why would the outside matter? Because the inside's where the real content's going to go. It says you wash the outside to make the outside look good. You whitewash the outside to make the outside look good. But the inside's full of death. The inside's full of sick grossness. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I find something sick and gross in my cup, I don't, oh, I'm going to pour a drink in here. God says, I want your heart. I want your heart. The reality, as we've been saying through this whole thing, is that it is possible to go through the motions of obedience and not surrender your heart. But I want to add this to it. It is not possible to surrender your heart and then refuse to obey. It's not possible. If we're in a place where we can't obey what God wants for us, then our hearts aren't truly surrendered. I mean, that's a gut check moment. And I don't know, sometimes I have to do that for myself, for others, that we have to check ourselves to understand that if we cannot obey God and the things that he's asked us to do, then it means our hearts are really not surrendered. There's one giant obstacle that stands in the way of all of it. It's one word that completely shuts us off from doing the things that God wants us to do. You ready for this? Can't. I can't. God's like, can I have some of your time? Could we just spend some time together? Why don't you read the Bible and pray a little bit? And we'll just spend some, and we're just like, God, I'm so busy. I just can't. I can't. You know, hey, we got this outreach coming up and, and you know, one of our pastors, probably Pastor Tyler, will chase you down and ask you to be a volunteer. And we're, oh, I just, you know, I just, I don't have the time. I can't, I can't. You have some kind of talent that God could use for his glory. And, and maybe to you, you're just like, well, I'm not that great at it. Like I, I, I can only do a little bit. And, and it's like, could you use it? For, I can't, I just can't. We look at our resources this idea of giving back to God. And God says that we should give back to him. And we, we call it tithing. He says, give 10% of what I have given you back to me as a way of honoring me. And what do we say? God, I can't afford that. I can't. I just can't. 
And I want us to realize that there's such an important message in this that we've been drilling down to in these last several weeks over the first fruits. It is that it's not possible to surrender your heart and refuse to obey. A surrendered heart obeys. It does what God says to do. It trusts Him. From the time my kids were little, I have told them this, and they can all finish this statement. You can test them on it and go ask them. I'll say to them, what is can't? They'll roll their eyes. And then they say, a word for somebody who doesn't want to try. That's what can't means to me. That's what I tell my kids. That's what can't is. That's all it is. It's just a word for somebody who doesn't want to try. I don't want to try to, to make time for Jesus. I don't want to try to make time for Jesus. I don't want to try to make time to serve. I don't want to try to use my talent. I don't think it's good enough. I don't want to try to give back to the Lord because I don't think it would work. I don't think there's this word can't that just stops us dead in our tracks. But then God says, I'm looking at the hidden parts of your heart. And if they're not surrendered to me, then you're not surrendered to me. And church, that's important. That's so important to us. Because we could go through the motions and never give God our hearts. Or we could convince ourselves that we've given God our hearts then refuse to obey. Neither one is good. God wants your heart. He's desperate for it. And it's the greatest gift you'll ever give him. Will you pray with me? God, we find it difficult to surrender to you on so many levels. The unseen God who is in many ways revealing himself to us through time and space. But then we look at your word and it tells us there are challenges that you've placed on our lives and our hearts. There are aspects of us that you want. A psalmist who wrote, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way within me and purge it. God, you're looking at these areas of our lives. Lord, you're desperate for our hearts, and I pray that you just reveal that to us even now, God. It's not about the things that we do on the outside. It's about what's going on in our hearts. It's not the way that we look to everybody else or sound or act around everybody else. It's what's in our hearts. And God, that's the first fruit that you've called us to. That's the first fruit that you desire from us is that surrendered heart that says, God, you can have it all. Not just a little bit of my time, not just a little bit of my talent, not just some of my resources. God, I surrender all of it to you. It's yours. Do with it what you will. It's all for your glory, God. Lord, I pray that you'll just help us to move beyond the place of feeling like we're unable to the place where we say, with God's help, I know I can do this. As we're in prayer this morning, I just want to pray for the canters in here. If you're here this morning and maybe you know that there's an area of your life that God's been challenging you on. Maybe it's spending time with him. Maybe it's spending time serving others. Maybe it's a talent that you know that God has given to you, but you're just, you're kind of sitting on it. Maybe it's taking that step in obedience to give back to the Lord, whatever it is, but you know in and of your heart, you just say, I, I can't. But I want to believe by faith that God could help me to overcome these areas of my life. I want to be in a place where my heart's completely surrendered. If that's you, can I ask you to slip up a hand? Because I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Many hands across the room. Thank you. 
I don't want to live in that area of can't. I want to live in the area of surrender. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Can I ask you to stand with me as we get ready to close in prayer together? You know, there was a moment where Jesus is with his disciples. And he's telling them about going through the eye of a needle. He says it'll be harder for a rich person to get into heaven than it would be for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And they look at him and they say, God, that's impossible. And Jesus says, you're right. With man, this is impossible. And and please hear me in this. If If your goal is to overcome a can't area of your life and you're thinking that God has put it on you to overcome it in your own strength, can I tell you, with man it's impossible. But then Jesus said this to his disciples. But with God, all things are possible. What does that mean? Give it to me. Surrender it to me. You don't have to do it on your own. In fact, I don't know about you. I've tried a lot of things on my own that didn't work out. God says, if you give that to me, what was impossible for you is completely possible for me. So I want to pray for those of you who raised a hand this morning that says, I'm in that area of can't. And I want to step out of that into a place of trust in God. Please hear me. God's not asking you to do that on your own strength. My prayer for you is that through an infusion of faith, God will give you the ability to lean into him and do what he can only do. He says, I can do the impossible. So Lord, right now, I just pray for every person in this room or those who are watching us online. God, I pray for them. I just pray right now that you would infuse us with faith that goes beyond our circumstances that goes beyond our own strengths and abilities, that we would not look at our circumstances, our situations, and think of ourselves, I've got to find a way to overcome this. I've got to find a way to get beyond my can't. God, I pray that you would reveal to us that with our own efforts, it's impossible. But with you, all things are possible. Remind us, as Paul said to the Philippian church, I can do all things through Christ. All of it. And God, I just pray that you would work miraculously in the hearts and lives of your people. Lord, as you are speaking, Holy Spirit, as you are convicting, as you are challenging us on what it means to be surrendered to you, to give you every area of our hearts, God, would you just continually make that evident to us? Would you lead us to a place where even the most secret parts of our heart are surrendered for your glory? And God, as we do so, we know that we will continue to worship you and to bring a smile to your face. We thank you, Lord, and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, a piece of practical advice for you, okay? I know people who think of themselves, I want to start praying more. So they say, tomorrow morning, I'm going to pray for four hours. Or they say, I want to read the Bible more. I'm reading the, the Old Testament tomorrow morning, okay? That's probably not going to work out. Start small. Spend five minutes in prayer. Spend a chapter in the Bible, whatever it looks like, or or I'm going to give my next seven paychecks to Jesus. Probably not going to work out. All right, we'll take it. Don't No. (laughs) I'm going to give to the Lord. I'm just going to start to work incrementally towards this place of obedience for God to help me overcome my can'ts because he's able. Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. Lord bless you. Our our prayer team will be up here. We'd love to meet with you and pray with you if you need prayer. Love